Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Plant Powered People podcast. I'm Michelle Kane, your co-host and founder of World of Vegan. And I'm Tony Okamoto, your co-host and founder of Plant Based on a Budget and Food Sharing Vegan. On this show, we talk with plant-powered people from all around the world about various aspects of plant-based living, and we want to empower you to learn, explore, and evolve in a kind, sustainable, and healthy direction, all while eating the most delicious food and having a ton of fun. Last year, we talked with our friend Catherine about being an RD and all of the basic nutrition needs that we should be considering on a daily basis. And because that was such a well-received episode, we thought we would do it again. And this time with our friend who is also a registered dietitian named Nisha Malvani. Nisha is the founder of the very, very extremely popular Instagram called Cooking for Peanuts. And she has all kinds of really fantastic information as well as very practical tips on making sure that you are taking in the right nutrients. She also has a website called cookingforpeanuts.com and is a wealth of knowledge as we'll hear in this episode. We will be talking with her about protein and iron and fiber and iodine as well as other general nutrition tips. So we hope you enjoy. Before we jump in, we'd like to thank our sponsors of the episode, Caraway Home and Bootstrap Farmer. It is a new year and what better way to celebrate than with new kitchenware from Caraway. Caraway makes the most beautifully crafted cookware and bakeware that's elegantly designed, eco-friendly, magically non-stick while being non-toxic and I absolutely adore them. I use my gorgeous sage green Caraway pans nearly every day to cook. They're my go-to and they really do spark joy for me. All their pans and their bakingware come with brilliant storage systems to help make your kitchen feel more organized. And now it's time to try it for yourself. And of course, we are hooking you up with a special code so you can save on the full suite of Caraway products, including their new food storage containers, tea kettle, and mini cookware. You can visit carawayhome.com slash plantpoweredkitchen to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners. So again, visit carawayhome.com slash plant powered kitchen or use the code plant powered kitchen at checkout caraway home non-toxic cookware made modern we'd also like to thank our sponsor bootstrap farmer like many others i got really into gardening in 2020 and i have come from a very rich background of japanese american and mexican american farmers here in the central valley and it felt so natural to me to be out in the yard growing my own food and when i first started i wanted to invest in really durable high quality equipment that would last for many 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 years to come and i did my research and and invested in Bootstrap Farmer 1020 Extra Strength Trays and their cell plug inserts and seed pots. And they have delivered the quality I was looking for. I use the trays for everything from seed starting, growing microgreens, which are ultra healthy, starting turmeric and ginger, to harvesting, to holding all kinds of gardening tools. They are very, very versatile in their usage. And I love them so much. It's been three years now and they're still going strong. They also have a ton of other great products like their automated grow rack for those who don't live in a place where produce is readily available. And you can check all of their fantastic products out at 
bootstrapfarmer.com. I really, really love these products. They are a great investment for gardeners who want to grow from seed, especially. That's how I use them most. And I think you'll love them. And now on to the show. Hi, Nisha. Welcome to the Plant Powered People podcast. Thanks so much for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you, Tony. We are very, very excited to chat with you about all things nutrition. But before we dive in, I'd like to introduce our audience to you and share, have you share a little bit about who you are and what you're doing right now. Where are you located? And then what type of work do you do? So I am Nisha with three daughters. I live in New York City. I have one daughter in college and two other teenagers. So when they were young, I was looking for a career that would allow me to be at home and raise them. And I was always interested in science. I was a pre-med student and I decided that my focus was, you know, my interest was really nutrition. So when my little one, just before I had my first child, I went and did a master's in nutrition at Columbia. Then I would, you know, do a little bit of counseling from home, but mostly I was raising her and learning how to cook healthy for my kids. I wasn't vegan at the time. My nutrition degree didn't really differentiate too much between, you know, eating animal versus vegan. And it was more just general macronutrients, micronutrients. I started to become more vegetarian as I thought about what to feed my kids, then just ended up transitioning to a vegan diet because I felt better and just for my own ethical reasons and environmental reasons. And I really loved the cooking aspect of nutrition, like how to incorporate all that knowledge into practical advice to help people as opposed to sort of doing the more desktop approach. I like to move. I like to be active. I love playing with flavors. So it sort of was a good way to transition the knowledge I had and use it out there in the world while still being a stay-at-home mom. That's sort of what brought me to Instagram. And originally I started, I shared photos of food and recipes like a lot of us food bloggers did until video became really the only way now. You know, I've been teaching myself how to do that more effectively. And I tend to focus on the very basics because I think that anyone transitioning or trying to eat more vegan, it's not as obvious as we who have been doing it for a while might think, and we forget that. And I find that just even the simple things really help people a lot because they're not, they're simple to us, but not necessarily to others. And I just want to make their journey easy as they start to just incorporate more plant-based foods into their lives. And it just brings me a lot of joy to see more people start doing that. And before then, you did not have a standard American diet because you're actually from Jamaica. Is that right? And what was that upbringing like and what types of foods did you eat? So I was born in Jamaica and raised a lot of my life in Jamaica. My parents are of Indian heritage and I went to boarding school in England and college in Montreal. So, and now I live in New York city. So I've, you know, lived in a lot of places and as, you know, a younger child, I, 
had a lot of curries because Jamaica and India, you know, are very famous for a good curry and England, actually. So curries were a mainstay. And I think what that taught me is how to use a lot of aromatics and spices in my cooking to bring out flavor and make vegetables take, taste delicious. So a lot of it really stemmed from there. My mom is not a healthy eater at all, but my dad is where I really learned to embrace fruit and vegetables because he will eat any and everything. He is not a vegan, but he eats a lot of fruit and vegetables, drinks fresh aloe from the tree, you know, very plant-based. And then England, you know, we sort of had to eat what we were served. And that was a lot of organ meat, sadly, a lot of liver. And we really didn't have a say. I think we were allowed to be excused two foods. And mine were, interestingly enough, and ironically, Brussels sprouts and beets. Brussels sprouts were off the plate for so many young people that now is like a favorite food. Exactly. And it's surprising how easy... They are to make them taste good, but in school they just made everything so mushy and you know just killed it with over steaming or over boiling. Yeah, absolutely. When you transition to plant based eating, already as a nutrition expert with young children, did that align well with what you had learned in school and what you knew about nutrition? Did it sort of fit well within? that or were there any challenges that you came up with or that you faced or anything that seemed like hard to get when you were becoming plant-based at first? So I'd say one of the things we were taught in nutrition in my degree was that dairy was so important for bone health and, you know, having kids like you have to feed them their milk and, you know, after you start, stop nursing that is, and if you nurse, but you know, that seems really, you know, now sort of very controversial because there's nothing really special about dairy for bones, except that, you know, it has vitamin D, but that's supplemented. So then, so plant milk is supplemented with vitamin D and that it has calcium, but calcium is coming from the plants that they ate. So that you can also get on a plant-based diet for your bones and also protein, which you can also get from plants. So it didn't seem like all this education we had on how we have to include dairy was really accurate because those parts you know of dairy that are good for bones were we were able to get it elsewhere so those you know i had to really think about those messages and translate them into a vegan diet did you have anyone around you at the time like within your nutrition education or classes who were already embracing a plant based diet or was that sort of before it was on the mark there. I remember when I was in college, I took a nutrition class as a biology major. And I think there were a couple of vegetarians and I was definitely the only vegan. And the teacher would like specifically harp on like how important dairy was and like, look at me. (laughs) So I know that's an experience so many people studying nutrition had uh, when they, when they got their degrees a while ago, I'm wondering, I, I know that's changing a lot, but in your experience, did you have other examples or did you really pave the path yourself at that time? So I think I'm a lot older than you, Michelle. And by the way, I know for that you make your own plant milks too, because I've seen you on videos doing it. So you've definitely transitioned a lot from that. But I um, did not because my degree was about 18 years ago. Yeah, that long. You know, it was about 18 years ago that I did my master's. So that was definitely up and coming at that stage. Okay. 
I really, really want to talk about some of the things that are burning in people's minds at all times. I feel like I've been vegan for quite some time now. So has Michelle. It's been over 15 years for both of us. And still, to this day, people want to ask us about our protein. And because that's on the top of everyone's mind, let's just get that out of the way and start with why are people so obsessed with protein? Yes, that's a good question, Tony. When I think what we really need to be more obsessed about is fiber, I think, you know, this thing about having a well-planned vegan diet, well, any diet really needs to be well-planned to make sure we get everything. So it's not just vegans who need to think about what they're eating and plan their diet. Now, of course, we can have protein inadequacies as a vegan if we pay no attention, but it's pretty easy to meet our needs once we knew a few basic foods that we you know, should incorporate to do that. And we don't really see any protein deficiencies in the industrialized world. It really doesn't exist. We can see protein inadequacy, but I'd say like more in like the aging population who, if they're vegan and, you know, as you age, you start eating less calories. So then by default, you will get less protein. So I'd say, you know, for that category, you'd want to replace grains with legumes more and sort of reduce fruit, but increase your vegetable intake because fruit is, you know, little to no protein and vegetables do have some. And beans are just, you know, legumes should be a mainstay of any diet. It would be great. They're so healthful and a great source of protein. And I'd say if you shoot for about two servings per day of some sort of legumes, you're going to be fine. You don't need to worry too much. And soy foods, obviously another great source, tempeh, tofu, packed with protein. You know, I think apart from, you know, if someone is having maybe a weight loss diet, if they're on a weight loss diet, they might have higher protein needs, but you're still able to get all that from your diet. You just need to make sure you know the good sources and include them. I still remember the first time that I heard, I think it was Colleen Patrick Goudreau was doing a talk about, about protein. And she mentioned like the medical term for protein deficiency is quashi orcor. And no one in the whole audience had ever heard of this word because it's a term that's barely ever, barely ever used in, at least in the United States here, because it's such a rare situation. So when I first went vegan and I kind of heard that philosophy that like, we don't have to worry too much about protein. I just stopped thinking about it altogether. And honestly, to this day, I don't think too much about protein. And I'm wondering both personally for myself, but I eat pretty healthy. So I just accidentally get a lot in, but for other people who just do not think at all about protein, like what could happen if we're not paying attention and we're not getting enough? What can happen to us? Why, do, why does it matter that we take extra intention to get like our correct servings of legumes and nuts and all the different protein sources? I mean, there's protein in everything, but like the rich right. protein sources. So our bones need protein. We do need protein for good bone health. And it's actually funny because they, they used to be thought that getting too much protein leached calcium from the bones. So the opposite would actually weaken your bone health. And then they also thought then vegans would need less calcium because they weren't leaching as much because they didn't eat as much protein as, you know, an omnivore. But actually, it turns out that the more protein we get, the more calcium we absorb from our diets. And the calcium that we see in urine is actually from the increased calcium absorption, not the bone loss. 
So it is good for bones. And, you know, so then it is important, but, you know, not just protein. We also need calcium for our bone health, which we can find in fortified milks and, you know, calcium set tofu, leafy greens. So it's sort of actually you're getting the protein with the calcium for your strong bones if you eat those fortified tofus and stuff. Also, we do need it for, you know, our muscle strength in general and just many bodily functions. But again, it's not hard to get. If you eat two to three servings of legumes a day, you're going to likely be fine. That sounds very doable. And Michelle and I actually have a a meal plan for Dr. Greger's Daily Dozen, where we incorporate servings of protein in there, which if anybody is interested in in a more guided way of eating that takes the thought out, we'll link that in the show notes. What I wanted to just add on protein, you know, is that we used to also believe that when you got all your protein from plants, you had to pair them so that you would get all the essential amino acids because some will be higher in some essential amino acids and other plant proteins are higher in others. But what the body does, it's very clever, is it really hangs on and stores all those amino acids from the different foods we eat and pools them. So it does the complementing for us. So the myth of like having to pair all our proteins, you know, eat your beans with your rice or you're not going to get enough protein is not actually true because the body's much smarter than we think. And it's going to do that pairing so that we get all those essential amino acids, which is why we need to eat protein is so that we do meet all those essential amino acid needs because we can't make those amino acids. The body can't make them itself. So we do have to eat them and they come from protein. Otherwise we will, you know, there are, the side effects could be sarcopenia, you know, and just weak bones. Well, it sounds like, it sounds like it's very doable, especially if it's just a couple servings per day. Uh, And I want to reiterate the normal person who's not a serious athlete does not have to supplement protein if they're eating a a healthy, well-balanced diet. Yes, I would agree with that. Unless you're a bodybuilder or you have, you know, some increased need for some reason, you and I don't need to supplement. What if I'm a bodybuilder, Nisha? I'm just joking. I'm just just joking. I am not a bodybuilder for sure. Um, Okay. So what are some of the most affordable sources of protein? You mentioned legumes. Um, Are there any others that you find to be on the budget-friendly side? Yeah, well, you know, lentils, which are legumes, are very high in protein, and I and you buy them in bulk, right? You can buy them in bulk, and they're very affordable. Chickpeas, also, you know, tofu, tempeh, all great sources. You're also going to get some protein in, you know, your vegetables that you eat. Some are higher than others, but I think, you know, there are whole grains, some of them, like farro has a good amount of protein. It's sort of scattered all over, but definitely... For me personally, lentils are my go-to. They're cheap and I just know I'm going to get a ton of protein and tempeh. Which color is your fave? My favorite, red. Red. They're so fast to cook. That's why I end up eating a lot of red is because the cook time is so quick. 
Exactly. Like it's 10 minutes. If I have starving kids, it's so easy to use red lentils, right? And red is a sexy color anyway. <laughs> I have a question for you. I just recently tried this recipe uh, that's basically you take red lentils, you soak them in water overnight or for a few hours, and then you blend them. And then you can make tortillas and stuff. But my question is, do you have to soak your lentils and your beans and your legumes? Like how important is that? And getting rid of the water that it's soaking in, or can we just cook them straight up? So the concern with that are the lectins, right? That are found in legumes and lectins are water soluble. So cooking and soaking destroys most of the active lectins in, in those, in legumes. I don't soak lentils that are quick cooking because they're going to cook off the lentils. They, you know, when you actually cook them fully, the, the lectins will be gone. But with dry beans, I soak, if I'm using not canned beans, I will soak them for a minimum of 16 hours, you know, overnight, and then cook them fully. So they are tender, you know, not soggy, but, and that is going to make them much more digestible. And canned beans, the work has been done for us. So those are ready to go. But yes, definitely, I don't soak my lentils, but I think in that recipe I would, and I know what you're talking about there, because I do make a red lentil burger where I soak the lentils, the red lentils, and then in a food processor, combine them with other ingredients, but then they do get baked. So essentially the baking is going to cook them, you know? So I'm, I'm assuming with your lentils, the tortillas that you make, you're going to be soaking them, which removes some of the lectins, and then... I'm guessing when you then make them so thin and you mush them up like that and you're pan frying it, that's going to cook them through. Actually, I've heard a lot about this. Uh, Nisha, on our podcast, we like to talk about bodily functions that may be more taboo in other circles, but... uh, Love bodily functions, yes. (laughs) in, In our line of work, especially around January, when people are trying to eat more plants and less processed food. I hear so much about digestion and flatulence in in particular because people are just starting to learn how to cook beans from scratch. And I also heard that soaking your beans helps lessen that issue. Fewer farts. (laughs) Fewer farts, says, says Michelle. Yes, I'm a family of five, so we definitely want to decrease the. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, and I'm so in a New York City apartment, we don't have the space. <laughs> I have another question because I don't soak my beans ever. I have an instant pot which I live by. It makes pretty much everything I eat. I use it three times a day minimum, and because I have such a fast cooking tool, my disposal, I don't rely on soaking as much to quicken the process. So is that doing anything in particular to my digestion? I I don't, I'm sure everyone's really dying to know, I don't have the flatulence issue. And I think it's because I've been eating beans my whole life. Like my family brought me up with beans and then I have been eating beans consistently my whole adult life. So Can you give us some insight there as well? So um, soaking, yes, it helps with the cooking time, but it does also help, you know, reduce the lectins. But I think the Instant Pot is pretty slow cooking. Your beans are probably in there for a while, am I guessing? 
No, it's fast. Oh, it's cooking. the pressure, right? The pressure, the, the pressure cooker. It. So I'm. Yeah, they're can cooking. Can that answer, Tony? <laughs> yeah. I got confused yeah. between my slow cooker and my sure. instant pot. I would say that my preference would still be to soak them, but I know with the instant pot it isn't essential for the cooking. But I think as long as they're well cooked, and you know you're still alive and well, and you're not experiencing any issues, you're probably fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad to be alive and well, that's for sure. Okay, so I love, love, love your videos that are high protein bowls. And I recently started, actually, probably for the past uh, year, have been trying to be really thoughtful about changing my habits and making small changes here and there so that they're long term. And it's been working for me so far and I have printed out so many of your recipes to make. And because you are the queen of high protein bowls, can you give us some of your favorite easiest high protein meals that people can whip together? Say the working person who has children and wants to get nutritious meal, budget friendly on the table quickly. Thank you. That was such a sweet thing for you, of you to say. Um, I don't view myself as the queen of that, but that's really lovely that <laughs> you said that. I think sheet pan meals are a great go-to for someone trying to put out a high-protein bowl quickly and easily. Just even prepping your tofu beforehand at the beginning of the week and using maybe three different quick marinades. They're just ready to go and that can keep in the fridge for, you know, four days in different containers. And then using the veggies you already have on hand so that you don't have to be running out to the store all the time. So say I, you know, go and my produce are like broccoli, sweet potato, and I keep grains on hand and you just, you know, take the tofu have that ready in the marinade, put it on a sheet pan, put some veggies, toss it in some olive oil and season it, spices, whatever your favorites, and just, you know, stick that in the oven while you cook a quick grain, like quinoa is a 15 minutes to cook, and that adds even more protein, and you're sort of ready to go. So it's really like the component to me of making a good bowl quickly is having, you know, condiments in your house so you can make an easy sauce quickly keeping, you know, a few sauce recipes on hand that you can just whip up, then having a protein source that can go in the oven like tempeh or tofu, or you can even bake lentils, which tastes amazing. You know, if you cook your green lentils till they're al dente, and then you just toss them in, you know, garlic powder, some chili powder, whatever spices you like and bake them, that's delicious. They get nice and crispy and some olive oil and sticking your vegetables in at the same time gives you a very easy way to incorporate all the macronutrients that your body needs and get tons of micronutrients and vitamins and minerals while you do that. Those are all great tips. And another thing that I like to do is freeze. Sometimes I'll make big batches of beans or lentils or quinoa and freeze them. And then you can either thaw them overnight in your refrigerator or throw them in the microwave. And it really cuts down the prep time on a busy weeknight. Yes. And, and for what I started to do now that fall is upon us and winter is almost upon us is um, you're going to see my next video actually will be a freezer soup series. 
And I'm incorporating more protein into those freezer soups by blending in more beans. So, you know, like the one I'm coming up with next, which will air before this comes out, is going to be the sweet potato white bean soup I have in my freezer right now. And it was so easy to make. I put in two cans of white beans with the cooked sweet potatoes, carrots and everything and blended it all and then put it in cubes in a tray in my freezer, large cubes, which are about a cup each that I found. And then I just pop out the cubes and heat them up and I have a high protein meal ready to go. And it's cozy. It's comforting. My kids love it. So that's going to be one of my go-tos as the fall and winter comes. That's great. And for anyone who wants to dive deeper into fridge prep, meal prep, pantry love, you can head back to episode 82, where we brought on Kristen Hong, which is the author of Fridge Love. And that is her jam. We talk all about that. So that's a great episode to listen to in case you missed it. And then we will also in the show notes link a bunch of recipes for beans and legumes and sauces and proteins for these bowls from all three of our recipe collections on our sites over in the show notes at plantpoweredpodcast.com. So if you are hungry for recipes, we will have a collection from all three of us there. Okay. So that's protein. We thought we would spend like a minute on protein because it's so (laughs) basic, but there's like, we could honestly talk, have a whole episode just on protein and it's fun because talking about food is always fun. We want to talk a little bit about fiber. You mentioned how you wish that people didn't talk, ask so much about protein and instead asked, where are you getting your fiber? We actually had one of our past episodes, two of our past episodes with Dr. Bolswitz about fiber and gut health, but we'd love to hear from you. What, what do you have to share with people about fiber, which we'd be thinking about and doing? Yes. So, you know, fiber is listed as a nutrient of concern not really protein. And that's because less than 5% of the population get the required minimum adequate intake. So our, let's say our average intake is about 11 grams per day, and we're supposed to be getting 25 to 30 grams per day. So it's very low and fiber is only found in plants. And I think people just, you know, going back to bathroom talk, people are resistant to fiber because it can make you feel bloated. It does, you know, when you're not used to it, right, it does make you feel uncomfortable And I think if it's introduced, though, the right way and people are taught how to add more fiber to their diet and still feel good and not feel bloated, then it's going to be, you know, we're going to be more successful people doing that. So best sources of fiber, again, beans, beans seem to be like top of the list for everything, you know, legumes, veggies, fruit, whole grains. And my tip for people would be to maybe start with just adding about three to five grams per day, you know, just little, go slow. You don't need to actually measure it, but just go slowly each week and work your way up. Then you're going to have a lot less of this bloating and also chew slowly because when we chew quickly and we're distracted and we're watching TV, we gulp in a ton of air and then we're going to be like, oh, I'm bloated, but it's not just the fiber. It's because we're eating so fast, you know, and Third, I would add is to really make sure you drink a lot of water when you increase your fiber intake, because fiber needs that water to gel and move through your system. Otherwise, it's going to get you know blocked up and you're not going to want to eat it if it's trapped in there and you will feel bloated. I have actually been measuring my water recently, and I always thought, oh, I drink a lot of water because that's all I drink. But I was surprised when I started using a bottle that has 
measurements that I wasn't drinking as much as I felt like I was drinking. And so now I'm trying to reach my water goal for the day, especially when it's really hot or when I'm working out or I'm just in general trying to be more thoughtful because people feel like they're drinking a lot of water and they may not actually be doing that. That's a really good point, Tony. I definitely get a lot of my water through, you know, green tea and stuff. So if you find you're not drinking enough water, just even herbal teas are, I found a good way to increase your water intake. That's a great tip. And I appreciate it as much as water is so basic and we should all know to drink enough. I still do not. (laughs) And it's so low on my priority. So I'm going to bump it back up. Thanks to this conversation. So thank you. Another thing I wanted to add about fiber is I think we don't focus on it because we don't really understand how essential it really is. While it's not viewed as, you know, an essential nutrient like B12, let's say, it is essential for our microbiome. And we have more microbes than we do cells, you know, and we need to look after them because they can provide huge benefits for our health. And Fiber is a prebiotic, meaning it feeds those good bacteria in our gut. So we want to feed the good ones so they, you know, overtake the bad ones. And what they will do for re- in return for us is, you know, reduce the permeability of our gut. So less toxins go out into our bloodstream. And so we stay healthier. And fiber, de- you know, decreases LDL cholesterol. So it improves heart health, glucose control. So you'd have less diabetes if you incorporate more fiber into your diet. And it also helps with weight loss in that you feel fuller. You know, it keeps you feeling fuller for longer. So there's just so many benefits that I think people aren't really aware of that fiber has that I think it's like, you know, a great thing for the new year for Veganuary or whatever to just say, I'm going to focus on my fiber intake. And I think what's hard for people is when you read, say you're want to get some fiber through processed foods, um, how do you read the label and know which foods are high in fiber, which ones to choose? And I think that's where I use, you know, I think it's Dr. Grieger taught me this five to one rule, which is you look at the total grams of carbohydrates in that packaged food and you look at the total grams of fiber and then you divide the grams of carbohydrate by the grams of fiber and if it is higher than five, then that's not a high fiber food. And if the number is five or less, then that's pretty good. You're getting pretty good amount of fiber there. I love that. That's such a helpful, helpful tip. I've actually never heard of that before, but I do encourage all of those listening to check out our fiber episodes with Dr. B. If you haven't already listened to those, it's so important and gut health is something that most people experience issues with at some point in life. But next, we want to go and talk about something that a lot of people, I think, have never thought about or aren't so aware. It's, I feel like, one of these things that is underrepresented but so important, and that is iodine. So can you tell us a little bit about, like, what is iodine? Where do most people get it? Why is it important? And what do we need to know as plant-based eaters? So iodine is an essential mineral. And when we, you know, in the nutrition world, we say something is essential, it means the body cannot make it on its own. So we have to eat it and, um, or get it through food or diet. And it's essential because it's needed to produce thyroid hormone and our thyroid hormone does so much for us. And, you know, it helps with 
digestion, heart, muscles, brain development, or bone health. Um, when you're pregnant, that's when you really need, you know, for the developing fetus, you really want to make sure your iodine levels are good. It's typically found in seafood because that's, you know, it's in the water and they're absorbing it from the water, the seawater. And it's also in dairy, but the way it gets into dairy, it's um, inadvertently, it's interesting because when they're milking the cows, they clean the teats with iodine to as an antiseptic. And so when the milk's coming out, it's getting in contact with that iodine. And that's why we have iodine in milk, in dairy milk. So it would be great if, you know, non-dairy milks would be fortified with iodine like they are vitamin D, and we don't need a lot of it. In fact, too much is a bad thing too. Another way to get it would be iodized salt, but that's only table salt, not the salt you see in processed packaged foods. That's not generally iodized. Sea vegetables have some, but I wouldn't rely on that to get your iodine. And vegetables can do depending on the soil they're grown in because if the soil has iodine, but again, you don't want to not wash your vegetables so that you get the soil and maybe the iodine if it's there. So, you know, I think if you don't use any table salt and you do have increased needs and or you're pregnant or, you know, and you're not having any form of supplementation at all, it might be worth taking a little bit every week, you know, just to make sure you're, you don't need to take the RDA amount because that's a lot, but even just a little so that you don't become deficient. That's probably a good idea. As a runner, I remember being on a marathon for the first time and I had met this really wonderful guy who I met his wife in a Facebook group that was like a getting prepared for the marathon type of group. And they ended up being a, a team who helped me make it across the finish line. And one of the things that they brought for me, and I had no idea what was little salt packs that had iodine added. And they at the time, were telling me a little bit about the circulation and how it's good for excessive sweating as well. Do you have anything to say about that or any information on if you're if you're excessively sweating or working out a lot, how it could benefit you? Sadly, Tony, I'm hardly ever excessively sweating. <laughs> I need to work on that more. <laughs> that is a that is a, an old an old life, but I will find some information and I'll also include that in the show notes. If any of your listeners are, you know, pregnant, I think that's definitely they should look into making sure they do get enough because it can increase, you know, if you're deficient, it can increase the risk of miscarriage or prematurity and lowers the IQ of, your, you know, the newborn. So it is important to be on top of. Thank you. Yeah. For a while, I was eating pink Himalayan salt instead of iodized normal person's salt and for years. And it wasn't until my registered dietitian friend, Taylor Wolfram had told me about iodine. She actually wrote an article for World of Vegan about how important it is and how iodized salt is like the easy, reliable way to get it. That I was like, oh, okay, I'm officially switching back to normal person salt, iodized yeah. salt. And at the time she told me that just a half teaspoon of iodized salt contains all the iodine you need for a day and all the sodium. So it's not even, you don't need a lot. Just you know, just a bit. And no, you don't other, need a lot at all. Yeah. 
And the other thing that she mentioned was about just processed foods and how processed foods with salt, a lot of salt in them, that those usually are not iodized salt. Exactly. So it's not reliable. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for covering iodine. We also wanted to touch a little bit on iron because that is often brought up as well as a concern. And I'm wondering how worried should people be about making sure that they get iron into their diets? So it's it's interesting that, you know, you can probably predict what I'm going to say you should eat for iron and it's because it's come up in the protein conversation and in the fiber conversation and, you know, which is, again, legumes <laughs> are rich in iron. So, you know, they seem to just be rich in so much and just I feel like people new to vegan or new to plant-based diets, they don't realize the importance of adding those. So a tempeh also is a great source, but I would say if you're eating a thought out vegan diet, you're going to also get iron. And, you know, there are ways to make sure that you absorb it better, like, you know, adding more vitamin C when you're eating those iron rich foods, you know, so for example, pairing it with bell peppers or adding lemon juice to your meal. So if you're eating kale, let's say also greens, leafy greens for iron, you could squeeze lemon juice on that to make sure you really absorb that iron or add strawberries to the salad with iron. And tempeh is a great source of iron too, and protein. So I think that's a good one to experiment with. And a lot of people don't like tempeh and I don't really blame them because it does have this sort of aftertaste, but I, I feel that I figured out how to get rid of that pretty effectively to the point where my kids actually like tempeh now. And I do that by simmering the block of tempeh for about five minutes before I use it. And I always marinate it really well. And if you crumble it with your hands, like you would crumble tofu and then stick it in the marinade and then, you know, pan fry it, it really knocks out all that bitter flavor because it's just taking in all those flavors from the marinade because, you know, you steamed it to open the pores and now you've broken it down. So you've increased the surface area. So it can really grab onto all that flavor. And, you know, for me, it's worked in introducing it to my kids and it's loaded with iron and protein and has fiber. So it's a, it's a win-win. Thank you for that tip. I'm definitely going to try that with my three-year-old. <laughs> I know it used to be something that I did not like at all, and now I love it, but it seemed like an acquired taste thing. But if you can get someone to like, love it right off the bat, that seems like the best shot. So Yeah. And the great thing about it, I call it the first date food because it doesn't make you gassy because it's a fermented bean, you know, fermented soybeans. It really doesn't have the same gassiness effect as other legumes. Wow. I love that. Okay. You specifically said you wanted to be sure we covered fat in the diet. So can we talk about that, the importance of it and what we should know as plant-based eaters? There are a subset of vegans who believe that, you know, the low fat plant-based diet is optimal, but I don't really think the science shows that at all. And if you do eat a low fat diet, you're going to miss out on all the heart healthy fats, all the good fats that are found in you know, soybeans, walnut, flax seeds, all those essential fatty acids that we need, that again, the body isn't going to be able to make unless, and so we have to get it through our diet. I think why we see health benefits with a low fat diet is mainly because you will likely lose weight. 
if you do eat a restrictive diet like that, which does improve, you know, your blood pressure and your heart health in a different way, just by losing the weight, but not because you're not eating those healthy fats or because you're eating a vegan diet, more because you're just eating a restrictive diet and losing weight, which has its own benefit if you need to lose weight. For me, I eat a lot of healthy fats in my diet, hearth healthy fats. It's satisfying. It makes food taste good. You know, I do use olive oil to cook in because I know there's, you know, people are really scared to cook with olive oil. They're like the smoke points low. But what they found is it's really not the smoke point that we need to look at, but more the oxidative stability of the oil. And olive oil is very stable at the temperatures you're going to use it in, in the home kitchen. And, you know, the Mediterranean diet has always been touted as very beneficial for health, but is it all the olive oil or is it the fact that the olive oil makes people eat so many vegetables because they taste so good with a little oil, you know? And if that's the case, that's great. They're improving their health outcomes with all those veggies. You know, I use a lot of aromatics too in my cooking, onion and garlic, which by the way are great to increase iron and zinc absorption for your diet. And you can't really fry them in an avocado. You know, it's, it would be very tricky. So a little oil can go a long way. I'm not saying you should douse your food in it, but, you know, it helps. It helps bring out the flavors and just make certain things more palatable. And also, again, we need those essential fatty acids. They are essential and they are good for heart health, brain health. And, you know, I eat walnuts every day with my breakfast, because that's just such an excellent source. My argue, I argue that's the healthiest nut, but they're also in, you know, avocados, soybeans, sunflower seeds, chia seeds, another way to get that. So definitely you don't want to miss out on those heart healthy fats. Thank you. I'm going to add walnuts to my grocery shopping list this week. And it's nice because you only like, you only need a couple, right? A day to get a lot of the health benefits and you get such a diversity of nutrients and and everything that's in there. Is that right? I eat more than a couple, but um, you don't need a lot. Right. Exactly. You don't need a ton. I, I eat it just a little bit in my breakfast. And then, you know, I do eat ground flax seeds too, probably about a tablespoon a day with my breakfast. That's another great source. And, and you know, avocado toast. We all love avocado toast, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. A big fan of flax seeds. I have a big glass like jar of them and we put them in our smoothies and our cereal and obviously baking it's like my egg replacer so flax seeds are amazing um, are. that is great and it is a really good point that we want healthy eating to be sustainable and if we take out the sugar and the salt and the fat it is going to be really hard to keep that going and to feel just like your best in life all the time if you're not eating those foods it's going to be hard to keep it going. So finding, finding balance, finding way to, ways to make food really delicious and use some of the most amazing foods on the planet, like avocados. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic. So I feel so much wanna, better. We want to enjoy eating. You know, we don't want to yeah. take that joy away because it's a way that we come together with our families. Um, it's so much more than just like those nutrients. It's mental health. <laughs> Yeah, agreed. And I also feel so comforted knowing that about olive oil because I still use it in my cooking and I kind of have this back 
little devil on my shoulder being like, just use it. And the angel's like, no, don't use it, Michelle, you're going to die. <laughs> but I'm glad that we devil off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's shaking those off. This was amazing. I know we have even like we could have a whole nother episode, but we're running out of time. So we will be sure to link any other resources and guides that you want to share with our listeners on the show notes. But is there anything else, any final words of advice, wisdom, encouragement? I would say there's a plant-based diet for everyone and it doesn't have to be the same for everyone. And you should not stress about it, enjoy the process and don't lose the joy of eating and sharing food with your family and friends. I love that. Thank you. Where can people find you on Instagram, on your website, beyond? Where's the best places to connect? So I'm on Instagram at cooking for peanuts. Can I quickly say why I chose that name? Sure, <laughs> yeah. Always asks me, why did you choose that? It really, my kids were so little. So they were like, I guess you could call little kids peanuts. And I was cooking for them. I was cooking for no money. So peanuts. And I love peanuts. So I cook with peanuts. But not all my recipes have nuts. In fact, most don't. But many don't. But I think that's sort of where it all originated from. Okay, so family-friendly meals, budget-friendly meals, healthy meals. You've got it all for people cooking for peanuts. We will link everything in the show yeah. notes as well. Easy meals. And I'm also um, have a blog cookingforpeanuts.com where they can find printable recipes. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Uh, we absolutely love having you. Thank, Thank you, you for so having me. Thank you. A quick reminder to check out our sponsors of this episode, Caraway and Bootstrap Farmer. For beautiful cookware, you can visit carawayhome.com slash plantpoweredkitchen and enjoy 10% off your next purchase right now. And for all you gardening gurus, be sure to check out Bootstrap Farmer for your high quality and durable gardening equipment needs at bootstrapfarmer.com. We hope you enjoyed that episode with Nisha. She is so friendly and down to earth. And I feel like everything she said was totally understandable, even for someone like me who doesn't get all of the nitty gritty sciences of nutrition. So thank you, Nisha, for joining us and also check out her book, Practically Vegan. It's funny that it's called Practically Vegan because you'd think it's like, I'm practically vegan, but instead it's being a vegan who is practical in their eating. And I really super appreciate that. I love her book. I enjoy her website. As I mentioned in the episode, I have used many of her recipes uh, for my own family and you can find her at cookingforpeanuts.com and on Instagram again at cookingforpeanuts. We will include lots of resources and then the show notes at plantpoweredpodcast.com. And if you are looking to eat healthier or just get some plant-based recipes and ideas or resources, guides beyond into your diet and lifestyle, uh, you can find lots at the new and improved world of vegan.com. And of course, at Tony's website, plantbasedonabudget.com. And at World of Vegan, we have a lot of nutrition guides. So if you want to zone in on any specific nutrient, we have a guide on omega-3s, which we didn't really cover here. We have a, a we talk about iodine and all that in more depth. And all of those are written by registered dietitians as well. So I will link those in the show notes. And 
we also have our plant-based on a budget meal plan. So if you want to step into healthier eating, that is a great way to have a layout, a template there for you. You can find them at plantbasedmealplan.com. And we, but I'll say mostly Tony, did the work of getting those meal plans together, literally crying on the floor sometimes because it was so hard to get all of the ingredients purchased to be used in the recipes for the week. So they really are super handy and will save you a ton of money too. So it's a great way to mark multiple goals off your list, eating healthier, eating plant-based, eating compassionately, eating sustainably, and saving lots of money for yourself and your family. So thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks as always for listening, and we will talk to you in the next episode. Bye!